0: McDiibven is squeezing through on naturalism's amanations there with heroicity and here comes the and across the and across down the outside is motoring home naturalism the leader the and across it'ch by inches wearing him down naturalism still in front he ran out near the line but naturalism went the this wins
1: podcast is brought to you by Basing New South Wales and... sky racing and Pride's easy feed
0: Do any of your horses struggle to finish their feeds during a racing preparation? Have you been unhappy with the way they look on race day? Do what many other trainers do with those finicky horses and introduce them to Pride's easy performance. By stimulating their appetites with Pride's highly palatable set recipe feed, you might find they're not leaving a flake in their feed bins. Correct nutrition helps race horses to deal with the stresses of racing and training It helps them to get that elusive win when they're in the right race and most importantly, helps them to bounce back after the event. Pride's Easy Performance provides the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses get to the line while helping them to maintain inner health. Pride's Easy Performance, the complete nutritional feed for equine performance athletes. Wherever Nick Hayward goes to honour race riding commitments, his reputation precedes him. The Wagga base jockey is held in the highest regard by trainers and fellow riders who admire not only his talents, but his fierce determination to manage ongoing weight problems and to remain fit and competitive. Nick is comfortable at 58 kilos. He can make 57 if the opportunity warrants it. The last thing a heavyweight jockey needs is an injury-enforced layoff, and that's where Nick finds himself as we record this podcast. Monday, November the 21st, found him with several rides on his home track at Wagga. He won race two on Mojo Magic for Scott Collings, He won race three on a horse called Sledge for trainer Wayne Carroll. Nick really had his eye in. Two races later, he partnered the aptly named Mammoth Mountain, a huge grey horse trained by Matthew Kelly. He was level with the leaders three wide as they approached the home turn when Mammoth Mountain appeared to sprawl behind and become very unbalanced. Nick lost a stirrupine in the incident and was dislodged, landing in front of three oncoming runners. At least two of those horses made contact with the fallen jockey and in hindsight, Nick feels he was lucky to escape with a fracture of the tibia just below the left knee. Not so lucky is the fact that he has to wear a knee brace and use crutches for six weeks. We catch up with him ten days after the fall. Frustrated, bored, and counting the days. Nick, I imagine the boredom is the worst part.
1: Yeah, it is. I guess everyone goes through this time to time, and you—it um, just—it is what it is. I guess.
0: Mm, you're fairly philosophical, aren't you, Mum? If you choose to be a jockey, this goes with the territory.
1: It does. Um, the highs and the lows. Um, I'm quite used to having a fair few falls and and breaking bones, so uh, it's not new to me anyway.
0: Mm. How does this rate with previous injuries, Nick?
1: Um, Probably I wouldn't rate it as my worst one, but um, it's definitely up there, I guess.
0: Mm. Well, you started the day with a bang riding an early double and this big brute mammoth mountain was second favourite in a benchmark 58. You'd won on him at Canberra on Melbourne Cup Day.
1: Yeah, he, he looked uh, well-placed for, for the race that day and the first time he actually travelled up from the six to the four on the bridle one. I believe if, he, if I didn't lose my left eye, he hmm. definitely wins and um, this just the way the game works. Yeah, what
0: do you think happened? He, he seemed to lose his hind legs, didn't he? It was unusual.
1: Yeah, I thought he might have laid in a fraction, but looking at the replay and the, the steward's footage, it was more that he, he's half dipped in the back and because he's so big, when he's dipped, he sort of lodged me out of my left eye, and, yeah, um, yeah, it was just enough to sort of tip me off.
0: He looks a giant when you watch him on Sky Racing. Is he one of the biggest horses you've been on?
1: Definitely one of them by far.
0: Your inability to ride much under 58 kilos drastically reduces your opportunities and that speaks volumes for your strike rate. Now last season you rode 53 winners in New South Wales and the ACT, the season before 56, and those figures tell me Nick that you don't waste a single opportunity.
1: Yeah, I've been heavy. You um it's got its pros and cons. You sort of you definitely miss out on on rides, especially horses. Sort of uh, fillies coming through and that st- type of stuff like that. But at the same time, you sort of you're not riding the horses which are sort of going backwards um, and sort of a bit out of form because you sort of you're heavy. So it definitely has pros and cons. Being heavy, it limits your opportunity in town to ride in town. Yeah, but. I um yeah I just I come to the conclusion I, I get what I get from hard work and um I just go with that and yeah like it like I rode 56 a couple of times and mm. the either one or in second so when I do ride a little bit lighter it does pay off and um I try to pick out the right horse for that
0: oh yeah just looking at your eating regime you, you skip breakfast altogether don't you
1: yeah, very rarely do I eat breakfast, lunch or dinner, like combined. I'll sort of either pick out food the day or I'll pick one one decent meal of the day and, and mm. go with that. But, yeah, it's, it's very rare that I have three meals a day.
0: Yeah. Most days you just pick at food, don't you? Never too much at once. What's on the menu? Uh,
1: it all depends on um, what Hannah cooks up, I guess. yeah.
0: <laughs> Fish, of course, is a, a jockey's principal diet.
1: Yeah, I, I guess I just find that every, everybody, everybody's uh, body is different, and mm. um, whatever you eat, as long as you work it off, you're going to burn burn it off anyway. So it's not mm. like you're going to eat it and then um, sit back on the couch for two days. You sort of you mm. eat it and then you you go and do go for a run, or you jump on a bike, or you just do something to burn it off.
0: Yeah. You go on long runs too, don't you? Several times a week. How far do you go?
1: I uh, normally run, so 5Ks up the river and then run and walk 5Ks back. So it ends up being 10, depends, maybe 11. But yeah, uh, yeah running long runs, it keeps you in, in a good mindset and keeps you fit. And yeah. definitely for the weight, it, it's amazing what um, running can do for your weight.
0: Mm. And you've got a spar at home.
1: Yeah, have a spa at home. It's set on forty degree heat, and it's always sort of always going every day. So that's for the last bit to get off. But it definitely works, works its favors. But you you do get sick of it.
0: Oh, of course you do. Regular track work is a very important part of your weight control, and you do plenty of that. You drive almost as far for track work and jump outs as you do for race meetings. You're all over the place. Where do you go and which trainers are you riding for?
1: So I, I've normally gone to either Canberra, Goulburn, uh, Maria for jump outs, uh, yeah, all over pretty much, uh, sometimes Aubrey, Wodonga, just wherever they sort of mm. need me to give them a hand. But when I go to Canberra, I ride for Matt Dale. He's my first preference and then mm. then they are sort of scattered around after that, Grazie Velo and... Mm. And all that, Matt Kelly. So, but from them, and then Goldman, I go and see Denny, mm. um, and then the other traders. So, yeah, it's just keep it busy, keeping your eye in. Like what the old saying is out of sight, out of mind. So, you, you got to keep your, your mm. face in the picture, and um, you might end up picking up a ride right here and there.
0: Mm. Your brother in law, Daryl Burnett, is a well known breaker, and he's training a bit too, isn't he?
1: He is. He's, he's going really well for the opportunities he, he gets. And apart from training, he's, um, he's, he's a full time breaker. So he's pretty busy at that job. And I think it, he loves getting out to the races and having a runner because it, it gets him away from, from his normal day job and it gets something to look forward to.
0: Mm, right now, how is he your brother in law?
1: So he's uh, engaged to my sister, Brittany Haywood.
0: Oh, ah, lovely. Now, Nick, let me outline an example of the miles you travel. And this is just one episode, one little story. In March of this year, Nathan Doyle asked you to drive from Wagga to Gosford Trials. I know what most jockeys would have said to that request, but he had some important runners at the Gosford Trials. You'd ridden three horses at Wagga the day before, but you were at Gosford in plenty of time. Now, Nick Haywood's presence at the Gosford Trials created a buzz of interest with other trainers, and before you knew it, you had a total of eight rides at the trials. It's quite a compliment, mate, because trainers like Paul Perry, Richard Friedman, Kristen Buchanan, all came looking for you that morning.
1: Yeah, I was quite lucky, so I've been a good mate with Nathan Doyle for a while, and he was at Peter Snowden's, Peter and Paul Snowden's, when I was there mm. as an apprentice. So we, we had a good relationship there and he asked me to uh, come up the same day to do the, the Gosford Trials and he ended up giving me, he fined me a couple more rides. So mm. made it worth it and then I had had a ride for Denny, would have been the last race at Golden the, yeah. uh, the same day. So I had to go from Gosford straight down there and, and ride and then head back up and I think I had – Scone uh, on the Sunday.
0: Oh, you did. I'm getting to that. So from Gosford Trials, you drive straight back to Goulburn. You rode a horse for Danny Williams in a late race, and then you yep. had to ride another one of Danny's in the trial after the final race. Do you remember that?
1: Yeah. I think there might have been two trials that day.
0: Right. Well, one of the horses you rode in that <laughs> trial was Bandy's Boy. And yep. Danny's um, very upbeat about that horse. He's he's looking at the country championship next year with him.
1: Yeah, he's got a high regard for the horse and I've ridden him a couple of times in trials and even before he, he come out and won his, I think he won his maiden in, in town. So hmm. he's got a nice wrap on him and hopefully the horse can live up to that.
0: All right. Well, here's the rest of that story. You had the hide to have the Saturday off. <laughs> And then on Sunday, you drive to Scone from Wagga, if you please. You ran second on one of Cody Morgan's. Then you won two races, a winning double for Nathan Doyle. One of them was Cavalier Charles in the country championship wildcard. You must have been out on your feet by this.
1: So, yeah, I had prior to that race, I, I was able to snag winner for Nathan, mm. got in the winner, and. It, sort of put your eye into the rest of the day after that and I uh, had Cavillia Charles, he was a good chance in the wild card for Matt Dale.
0: Mm. Oh Matt Dale yep.
1: And yeah I knew he'd be a good chance um, that's why I went up and, and rode him so he's a bit lucky, unlucky in his in his area not to get in to the championships but um, I told Matty I said I, I owe you a win with this horse and lucky enough to win on him that day and yeah, got him into the final. So, yeah, it was sort of pressure on myself to get the horse to get in the championship, just knowing that yeah, I, I thought he probably could have won his own heat.
0: How did he go in the final?
1: Uh, in the final, the truck was a bit wet for him. He, he likes a dry truck. So mm. um, as soon as it was a wet track, he was sort out of to play.
0: Yeah. You were originally apprentice to Peter Clancy at Leeton. The man who also kickstarted the career of Tim Clark. Now, you tell me, Peter and his late wife Nerida treated you like one of the family?
1: Yeah, they they treat you pretty much like royalty. Um, they treat you like one of their own kids, and uh, they got a great bunch of kids themselves. And yeah, they've just they're one of a kind. They're, they're just um, yeah people that you probably will never forget. So, you know, you've quite lucky. To, I'm quite lucky to have been able to get the opportunity to start out there and and learn a fair bit from both of them.
0: Mm. You still pop over to Leeton, don't you, if Peter needs your opinion on one of his horses?
1: Yeah, I've I've been over there a couple of times and helped Pete out, and I know he loves it, and he tries to tries to pay me for it, and I don't take the money. He hates mm. it because. He used to say, you don't do anything for free, you're good at it. So, mm. uh, But no, I love going over there, get to see Pete and all the horses and, and help him out and try to get him a couple of winners.
0: Mm. Well, you learned all the basics with Peter and when he thought you were ready to ride in races, he organised a transfer back to Wagga to your dad, Chris Hayward, who was training at the time. Now, I think you were getting close to 50 rides before that first winner came along. Were you getting a bit touchy?
1: Yeah, it took a while. Very frustrating, but been, I think because I was going to get a bit heavier, they sort of pushed me into race riding just to see, like I might only get six months, might get a year out of it. Mm. So I wasn't probably, you know, would say was ready to race ride, but down here you, there was only a trial like once a month, maybe two a month, and mm. yeah, it's, it's made it a bit harder to to be able to get to race riding. So I, once I got them done, I, I started and I sort of learnt more as I went through race riding early days and, and then got one winner and went on from there, but just mm. a lot of hard work and fine-tuning my style and... What works for me might not work for someone else. So, yeah, Mm. it was just trying to get that routine happening.
0: Well, the big day came in October of 2013. It was a benchmark race at Daniloquin, where Roy Higgins started many years ago. That winner was a mare by Elvstrom. She was called Memphis Flash and she was trained by your dad. Uh, What a magic moment.
1: Yeah, it was, it was a great day. I don't, I don't think Dad was there actually. I think he was somewhere else the mm. same day. Some races on somewhere else. But yeah, I was lucky enough to win on her, and she was well placed for the for the race that day.
0: There wouldn't be a jockey on the planet who can't remember his or her first city win, and your magic moment came at Warwick Farm on a drizzly day, in August two thousand and sixteen, on a horse called Buradoo for Canberra trainer Milad Anovic. And he absolutely bolted in that day, Burradu.
1: Yeah, he um, definitely liked the the wet tracks and the wet affected tracks helped him that day. And I think uh, if I can remember, Pete actually, Peter Snowden had the favourite in the race with Blake Shin on it. And Mm. I didn't think I could beat it, but I, I think I might have had it in a position where it sort of, had to have a bit of luck, so I was lucky enough to beat Pete that day, and um, I sure told him that when I got back to the stables. Mm, did you? <laughs> yeah. Now
0: Baradoo won again not long after at Canterbury.
1: Yeah, I was lucky enough to have my first first two city wins on Baradoo, and that day I think that day was maybe a soft five, so he, mm. to uh, win, and I guess he had a bit of confidence for the win at Warwick Farm, and he went on with it.
0: Just before we leave your dad, Chris Haywood, he no longer trains. What's he doing?
1: So, yeah, he retired. He just sort of had enough of the game. It's very um, repetition every day, day in, day out, and not many holidays. So he's just had enough and thought he'd give it away for a bit. And he's actually out at um, Tully. He's he's out there doing a bit of work. So, yeah, he seems like he's enjoying it.
0: I bet he watches your rides very closely.
1: I'd say so, yeah.
0: You got the wonderful opportunity to spend the last 12 months of your apprenticeship with Peter and Paul Snowden at Randwick. They gave you many opportunities on the provincial tracks, so much so that at the end of your time there, I think you only needed one more win to lose your provincial claim.
1: Yeah, just I had the one left. I was sitting on 79 and, uh, yeah, it was, it was close or not close enough. But, yeah, I loved the opportunity at Peter and Paul's place and they uh, they gave me very good opportunities at the provincial tracks and, and I couldn't thank them enough to, for the way they treated me and the opportunities they gave me. and um, I probably wouldn't be the rider I am if I didn't go there and, and learn a bit more.
0: Mm. Well, during that time, you got to ride the best horse you've ever been on, albeit only in track work. But you enjoyed the experience. You had the honor and privilege to gallop the dual Everest winner Red Zell on several occasions.
1: Yeah, he, he was a beautiful horse. He wasn't much of a race horse when he had his um, his nuts in, but they they <laughs> gelded him, and uh, he went went the other way and he started started to win races and he so he come a long way in a short period of time there and uh he was just a gentleman to ride he he had his quirks where if you him a bit of fast work and you'd be lobbing around like a little canner down to the thousand and then he'd just start pulling he'd just drag you the whole way so you, okay. you go from being too slow to too fast and and Pete likes his time spot on so if you went too quick or too slow he'd get he'd give you a spray no doubt
0: mm. you spent your 21st birthday at the races randwick races in fact on a saturday january the 21st 2017 now just to refresh your memory Nick you had four rides that day one for jenny graham one for bjorn baker one for Team Snowden and one for Jay Hopkins. And it was Jay's horse, Got Unders, who won a Benchmark 76 to give you a birthday present you will never, ever forget.
1: Yeah, it was a good day. That day, 2021, you only turned 21 once, so it was Mm -hmm. a good day. And to get a winner at at Royal Randwick, it was a good buzz.
0: We'll just pause to clear a commitment on the podcast, Nick, and we'll come back with you after this. Sydney Racing has a new $2 million thoroughbred race with the historic Group 2 Villiers getting a new name and a huge prize money boost from $750,000 to $2 million. A few months ago, Racing New South Wales and the Australian Turf Club made a joint announcement confirming that the great old end-of-year Randwick Mile, the Villiers, would be renamed the Ingham in honor of one of Racing's most influential and successful racing families. The inaugural running of the Ingham will be held at Randwick on December the 10th. The sponsorship for every other race on the Ingham program, including the half-million-dollar Inglis Nursery, are being sold down with all proceeds raised on the day to be donated to the Ingham Institute for Applied Medical Research. A great cause, a great day, and a top programme highlighted by the Ingham. My special guest is jockey Nick Hayward. Another one is obviously the most significant horse in your career so far. You've had nine rides on him for five wins. In fact, the only other jockey to win a race on another one is Tom Sherry. Now, he was a three-year-old when he ran in his first country championship final and you were beaten only half a length by Art Cadeau. What are your memories of that first country championship final?
1: Uh, So every time I, I watch that race, it still leaves a bit of what could have been Buzz to it. Um, do hes a lovely horse, and and his form and his, his um, yeah, his form and his stats speak for themselves. So to get beat by him, a little bit disappointed, but at the same time, you got beaten by the better horse on the day. So no, still yeah, still to watch it today it still gives you that sort of, you know, maybe if I if I went forward or the race was quicker, but. That's racing, so took the good and the bad and went on the following year and was able to go one better.
0: Hey, Nick, there's no game in the world like the racing game to generate the what-if syndrome. Yeah. What if I'd done this and what if I'd done that? (laughs) There wouldn't be a jockey or trainer alive that hasn't asked themselves that question. No, no. From the moment he went past the post that day in the first country championship final, Gary Colvin was focused on the same race one year later and didn't he look after him? He had only six runs in 12 months and coming into his second country championship final, he was absolutely flying. Is it true that you believed you were on the best horse in the race?
1: Uh, to do what he did, the first country championships, I knew he'd he'd come back bigger and better, and, and not many horses can do what he'd done. Especially when he won his first championships at Wagga, to be three deep, four deep, and yeah. and they've all sort of dropped him at the corner and to pick back up and just get there on the on the line it was it, good horses do that. And he's backed it up the following year, and he was a complete package when he won at Wagga. He uh, he slogged outside the leader. He was, I could say, I was pretty confident he wasn't going to get beat from the thousand meter mark. So mm. it just, yeah, you sort of get that weird feeling sometimes you're on the horse and even any horses, you just have this feeling that at one point in the race you like, won't get beat. It, really, yeah. it's weird, but yeah, you you t- tend to get it time to time.
0: Mm. Nerves are not usually a problem for you. You're a cool customer, but you were telling me on the day in the theatre of the horse when they were parading, you had a few butterflies. Uh,
1: yeah, I had a couple just because just I knew it, it, we ticked all the boxes. We, we knew he, he was better. We knew the wet track would play into his favour. We knew they'd go quick, and mm. he got in at the weight as well. So we ticked all the boxes bar winning the race. So yeah. I was confident I just I had one job to do and my job was to give him the best possible run mm. he could have and I was very lucky enough to to win on him and and I done my job right.
0: Yeah, well there were 16 runners in the race so you you certainly don't want anything to go wrong. You made up your mind you were going to let him find his feet. You didn't want to bustle him and Gary agreed wholeheartedly.
1: Yeah, well his instructions early was uh, ride him like Wagga, get him out, get him going, and, and put him outside the leader somewhere like that. And yeah, I just told him, I said, This is what's going to happen. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I know the horse like the back of my hand. So I said, mm. Look, we'll try to do that. and But I said, The main thing is to ride the horse first, then ride the race second.
0: Yeah, good boy.
1: But if he jumps, he's there, all good. If he misses a kick, I'll ride him where he's happy. And yeah. uh, it panned out the way I. I expected because he, sometimes he can miss a kick. Yeah, he didn't jump well, did he? No, I think no. there was a, a fly buzzing around behind the gates, annoying him a bit, and even in the gates <laughs> he was kicking out. So. Hey,
0: Nick, that's an original. I haven't heard that one before.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, I don't know if it was a bot fly or just an old fly, but, yeah, he, was, he wasn't happy.
0: Good heavens. Yeah, he jumped okay, but he just sort of sprawled
1: out. Yeah, he he come out probably uh, standard to him mm. yeah. and I just showed him where he was and I knew he'd get through the wet track and it probably played into our favour a bit better just seeing some horses come back to you when it's wet.
0: Mm. It was a bit wet all right. It was a heavy nine and you had to find the right lane. You were telling me that you watched earlier races that day very closely to see where the top jockeys were going in the home straight. Hugh Bowman won a race on Honey Creeper, the Adrian Knox Stakes, and you noted the section of the track that he used in the run home, and you were actually a little closer in than that.
1: Yeah, I watched a couple of races prior to, to mm. riding another one, and I saw that uh, Huey took sort of the same route and he mm. cut the corner, come out, and I think if, if, you, if there was no horses out, wide, you could probably get out there, but just seeing that there was a bunch of horses already out wide, Mm. I sort of only had the option to cut the corner and come out anyway.
0: Mm. Did Commando Hunt give you a little bit of a scare late?
1: Well, I knew it was probably the difference between winning and losing was he sort of come around, I cut through, and I think if he had my run, he probably wins as well. Mm. But, um, yeah, I could hear one flying. I was like, I was confident. I was, I was going to get there, but that you never know in racing. You can, um, you can always get beat on the post. So I was just come turned around, come back, and made sure I looked at the number and thought, okay, that's my number. That'll do.
0: <laughs> you double checked.
1: <laughs> yeah, always.
0: Yeah, he ran an inexplicably bad race in the Kosciuszko this year. Willie Pike rode him, in fact. Uh, what happened that day? Were there any uh, battle scars after the race?
1: I just think he's not a he's not a sprinter. He's a he's a, mile a plus and he, he's looking for ground. So to do what he's he did um, in the in the sprint trips, were a pretty good effort. But mm. I just think it was a bit too soon. Twelve hundred on a firm track. I just thought he was he was probably not ready to compete with some of those which uh, had yeah. a couple of runs and rock hard fit. Yeah.
0: He's raced well without winning in three runs since the Kosciuszko. In fact, you rode him recently in the Snake Gully Cup. He ran third, not too far away, and he's since been placed at Wodonga. Where is he as we speak, Nick?
1: I think he's. he'll probably have one more run and then he'll go to the paddock, but I think he's where he is now is where he should have been at the start. So. Hmm um he's got him right he's got him right now he's just got to pick the right race out for him now mm. he was arguably he probably should have won that gundy guy that just he couldn't beat the on-pace runners the track was pretty firm and mm. um they just went too slow up front for him mm. so that one that one got away and then he went to donga the other day and he was three four deep the trip took off early and and just got nailed on the post and Mm. Not many horses can do that at Wodonga. So yeah. I think he's in good stead for his next run and you should see the best of him in this prep.
0: Mm. So did you say he'll have one more or he's going out now?
1: Uh, I think he'll have one more run um, in Sydney in, in a week or so.
0: Well, he's given his owners a fabulous ride, Nick. He was an $18,000 yearling. He's won 836000 and Gary Colvin tells the story that He saw him in the little parade ring just outside the selling auditorium. He hadn't looked at his pedigree. He hadn't looked at his X-rays. He just looked at the horse and fell in love with him.
1: Yeah, he he wasn't much to look at early days, a bit like a gazelle's, but he's definitely filled into himself now and he, he looks apart and looks very athletic. And I said to the owners after the championships, I said, Anything else now is a bonus, I said, because what he's done, not not many horses can do what he's done and and won the prize money. He's won in only six starts.
0: You've got a perfect record on Handle the Truth, who's won 1.7 million all up. You've had two rides for two wins on the 2019 Kosciuszko winner. You won a Class 1 on him at Goulburn and a Tab Highway at Rose Hill way back, 2018. What did you think of him way back then?
1: So back when I rode him, he was still had it, his quirks and he was a very hard horse, early days to ride. He, he had his tricks of going up in the playing up in the gates, going up and, and also he didn't have, have much steering. So he was, he was very raw when I rode him mm. and I think as he got on, he matured a bit more, he, he got better as the years went on.
0: Yeah. You've ridden quite a lot for Keith Dryden, haven't you?
1: Rode, yeah, I've rode a couple for Keith. Um, I think we've had a good association. Just We might only had five or six rides mm-hmm. all up, but they've all been either winning or running places.
0: Yeah. Well, there's been one role model for you among the jockeys in the country regions, and there are no prizes for guessing who it is. The jockey in question is currently out with a vertebra injury.
1: Uh, yeah, Matt Carl, he he was the one I looked up to when I started and even to this day I, I still look up to him. He, he's a very good rider and he, he could match it with the, the riders in Sydney or wherever he goes and he just liked the country style a bit better and it just wasn't for him in, in town. But he's, um yeah, he's... Just, he's a great bloke and even a great mate and yeah he's it's unfortunately had that bit of an accident at Canberra.
0: Mm, hope he's back. A lot of people are asking about him.
1: Yeah, he, I think he's gone okay. He's getting around. He's he's finally got the halo off now, so mm. he's a bit more happier now. But he's just got to wait for that sort of neck to heal the fracture right. there.
0: You mentioned a couple of high profile city riders who've become inspirational to you, one of them was Redzel's regular rider.
1: Yeah, Kieran, he, he's, a, he's a great bloke. He's a bit like Matt in a way where always willing to help you out and, um, you know, if, if you don't know where you are, they're quite happy to give you a hand and and put you in the direct, right direction. But, um, no, Kieran, he's, he's been a great... Great role model for most jockeys these days and especially over a bit of a trip, you, you'll never get a better rider over a trip and mm. even riding track work with him, he, his times were just perfect. So I was lucky enough to ride with him at Peter's.
0: Yeah, they're all the reasons the blokes won three Melbourne Cups when you think about it.
1: Yeah, he's had, he's got a pretty good career stats.
0: Mm. Blake Shin is another of your great favourites,
1: isn't he? Yeah, Blake, he was, he was good to me when I was up at Peter Snowden's as well. He helped me out and um, he showed me showed me how to sort of, you know, sort of fix my technique and made it a bit better and um, I learned a lot from him.
0: You're only 26, but I imagine you'd already be the sounding board for some of the kids in your area. Some of the Riverina apprentices would be looking to you for a bit of a consultation.
1: Oh, I don't know about that. I'm still learning myself. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're too modest, Nick Hayward. You've won a string of country cups, uh, Cooma, couple of Holbrooks, Cootamundra, Parks. You won a snake gully cup on a horse called Zero to Ten. I think Ben Blay was the trainer.
1: Uh, yeah, so Ben Blay, I think he's the son of Jim Scobie. So he, Jim Scobie had him at the time.
0: Oh, I see. Yep.
1: Um, so yeah, it was a pickup ride that day. So He had fifty four. He was backing up from the Wednesday uh, wet track, and it was a pickup ride, like I said. So uh, it just fell into place, and it was great for Jim. He's a hometown boy, so you know, until this day, I think he he definitely relishes the uh, the day that we had that time.
0: Did you ride him at fifty four?
1: Yeah, so this is early days, so
0: 2015. <laughs> That's right, seven years ago.
1: Yeah.
0: Your partner is talented young jockey Hannah Williams, who must be in the third year of her apprenticeship now to Gary Colvin. Is that right? Uh, yes, third third year, yeah, third year. Mm-hmm. She's ridden more than 70 winners, I read somewhere.
1: Yeah, she's gone well just lacks some opportunity like most riders these days. You, um, If you don't get the opportunities, it, it's very hard to get winners. So she lacks a bit of opportunities, but she's in the right headspace and, and she always wants to learn. So um, by learning, it's going to take you a long way.
0: You rode a lot of track work early days with Hannah, so you're entitled to claim some of the credit for her progress as a jockey.
1: I think she taught me a bit more. On the track work side of things that I did, so,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. No, I um she was good for me and, and I helped her out when she needed to um, be helped, so, you know, we're, we both sort of give each other sort of help when we need it.
0: Now, in your current state, with the neck brace and the crutches, what sort of a nurse is she? Uh,
1: yes, yeah, so uh, she sort of helps me take the knee brace off now and then, but, yeah, she's does the normal sort of – she's quite busy at the moment with, with races and, and track work, so mm. when she's home, I'm I'm probably being a bit of a pest towards her, but um, that's only because I'm very bored.
0: You'd be having a moan, wouldn't you?
1: Oh, I'm going mad here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hannah doesn't have to watch the killer kilojoules the way you do, I'd imagine.
1: Uh, yeah, she's got to keep on to it. She, she's not natural lightweight, but she's not heavy either. She's sort of just in between, so – She might have to lose a kilo or two here and there, but um, when the the heat, the temperature turns up a bit hotter, uh, she should be back to normal then.
0: Your riding weight impacts heavily on the number of opportunities you get week to week. So when you look at your stats, your win tally of 460 winners is pretty healthy. You're focused on giving it your best shot in the next few years, because you know you can't keep doing it forever. Where do you see yourself, let's say, in 10 years, Nick, uh, when your writing days are over? I think you'd make a good trainer.
1: Uh, yeah, maybe. In in a bit of time, I might venture to do the training part. you just got to, obviously, when you get your training part right, you've got to get a good uh, support crew behind you hmm. to be able to do that and and make sure that everything will be right if you went that way. But I think I'll ride to as long as my body sort of tells me that enough's enough, and if not, hopefully someone can give me a pat on the back and say, look, mate, I think you've had enough. Hmm. I,
0: I wouldn't like to be that person.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd rather that, and you keep going down the, the incline where yeah. your um, your record goes, you know, your strike rate and all that goes downhill. Yeah, and exactly you're not getting a ride here
0: and there. so. Yeah, you might uh, you might uh, get a bit huffy for a day or two, but you'll get over it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is what it is, yeah. That's right. Everyone likes a new spin in racing anyway.
0: Well, Nick, you're very highly regarded all over the place in Australian racing, but in the south-east and the southern districts, you're an absolute legend. Well played, mate. If you do everything the doctor tells you to do, you can throw those crutches away in about a month. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Thanks for your time, Nick, on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound.
1: Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
0: Do any of your horses struggle to finish their feeds during a racing preparation? Have you been unhappy with the way they look on race day? Do what many other trainers do with those finicky horses and introduce them to Pride's easy performance. By stimulating their appetites with Pride's highly palatable set recipe feed, you might find they're not leaving a flake in their feed bins. Correct Nutrition helps racehorses to deal with the stresses of racing and training. It helps them to get that elusive win when they're in the right race and most importantly, helps them to bounce back after the event. Pride's Easy Performance provides the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses get to the line while helping them to maintain inner health. Pride's Easy Performance, the complete nutritional feed for equine performance athletes.